There's always something that's unscientific about every day. There was something about colors, though. Is there? Is there? Uh, that's the is there color uniform? of the band's pants tonight. Mulled wine. They have four or five choices that you know, kind of uniforms. Um, my my favorite is uh, toasted carrot. They they all have fancy names. Where did that come from? Not the toasted carrot name, but the idea of sort of a. A uniform. Ah, we just always have something. I don't know where you know. We just just from like riding in the van together on the way yep. to rehearsals. We start talking about like what are we going to wear. You know? So it's like the Steve Jobs thing. Wearing the same thing every day made life a little bit easier when he had a uniform. Oh, I, I'm a full subscriber of that. I always was. My father was the same way. My father, who was a physicist, he was like always had the same uniform, and I'm I'm a lot like that too. And I get it. It's like you don't want to waste your brain on that. It's one less thing to think about, yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy the process of touring at this point? I do, yeah. It, when I was younger, I, I had a hard time with it. And it used to just seem so draining and difficult. And then it, I think it just slowly beats you into submission. Where now it's like, I, I really enjoy it. Did you like actually performing live? I mean, did you ever... Oh, yeah, that part was always good. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of the grind of having to do this. The grind, yeah. The constant motion... Does it get easier as you get older, at least as you sort of get larger and the scale gets bigger? In some ways, yeah. It, um, I mean, you're always battling against getting older, and that part you know, can make some things harder, I guess. Yeah. But it's really about just you know, the combination of people that you're working with and stuff, and it it's becomes like really fun and easier when everybody's doing their job well and likes each other and that kind of stuff. Do you get restless for long periods when you're not touring? Well, I, we had a long one, like for four years yeah. um, until just this past summer. And but I was at, at at the opposite end where I was just kind of fried, and I I didn't miss it. You took a lengthy hiatus from just making music in general. Yeah, you couldn't do it anymore. It's just a case of you know if you do anything, if you do any one thing too much in your life, it'll catch up to you. Yeah, and you know. It'll make it clear that something needs to give. What did you do to return to it? I mean, did you did you change something? Well, I so then I took my usual obsessive work energy and said, okay, what do what do normal people do? Uh, you know, what do people do when they're not working? Because all I was ever doing was working. Yeah, and I just took that obsessive energy and tried to turn it into like a focusing on like a checklist of other things people do in life <laughs> such as it was ridiculous like you know get married have a baby you know, so. like, hey, it wasn't, hang on I, hang I mean, on hang on hang on hang well on. it wasn't actually all okay. planned out like that yeah you know? but but I just said like I'm gonna do anything but work really yeah I know you got married I know you had a, a kid like you've made these like major life changes were these two things related I think unconsciously at the time yeah I I didn't know, I didn't really set out for all that, but I think I was very open to all that. I have a job that requires that I travel a lot, and it's made it, it's made it kind of impossible to have relationships, like both, both friendships and actual like romantic relationships, especially when you're in that kind of early starting out stage where it's like, hey, that was a great date, I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, it can be lonely. I, I mean, assume that having a kid has impacted the touring as well. Oh, yeah, that's the hard part now. Yeah. And that's why our tours are shorter now and spread out more. So what were you doing, though, in that time off? How were you actually filling a day? So it's a, that's a big change to, to be... It was a big change, and it was like... Yeah. Uh, it couldn't have been a bigger change in terms of my life. And But I found out I liked it, you know. I just had, you know, kind of... 
I was just trying to enjoy life, you know. Yeah. Just, just hang out, sit on the porch in the evening and have a martini and listen to records and, you know, go to movies and go out to eat and just just nice, relaxing stuff. You sound like things like somebody with a healthy relationship to their work would also be able to sprinkle in while they're working. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't have that. I don't have that capability. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the nice things about being an artist and not having a, a nine to five you're tied to is the ability to make your own hours. But the flip side of that is you can't shut it off. Yeah. I, I'm just like, kind of, I'm one of those all or nothing personalities. When it is on, are you constantly writing music as part of you putting together the pieces of songs? Yeah. When it's on, it's just like a out of control locomotive yeah. running wildly down the tracks with no brakes. This is probably overstated, but I mean, you, you know, you do strike me, and, I, and you've talked about this a lot, but as somebody who uses music as a way to sort of process life. Right. How does your interaction with daily life change when you don't have that sort of, I don't know if catharsis is the right word, or like, or, or therapeutic tool in your daily life to interact with these ideas? I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, it's all stuff I'm not really conscious of, I think, at the time. Yeah. I look back at some songs. There's some songs I've written. You know, some of my songs are based on autobiographical stuff, and other stuff I'm writing in a character, and it's not about me. And then there's other ones that I'm writing in a character that I think isn't me, and then I go back years later, and I hear it or I play it at a show, and I'm like, oh, my God, that is exactly what I was going through, and but I just wasn't like yeah. letting myself know it. What's an example of that? Oh, I'd hate to say. <laughs> it always reminds me of, of when people talk about when they realize that they, they were an alcoholic, where at one point it, you think everybody else is the problem, and then you slowly, <laughs> yeah. slowly dawns on you. Yeah, yeah. you oh, like, I was the problem. Yeah, you like remove yeah. everybody else from the equation, yeah. and you're like, oh, I was the asshole the entire I time. Was, I was the constant in all those yeah. stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's what it is. You feel like it's just like certain, like I don't know, personality flaws or foibles that have made it through. I don't know. No, sometimes it's you know it's not necessarily negative stuff. Sometimes it's yeah. you know just something that I go like you know a couple years later I go like oh yeah that's exactly what was happening. Or or sometimes I write songs that are in character that aren't from an experience I have had, and it'll then it'll happen sometime after that. That's always a weird one. You feel like your song or any could be prescient. Yeah, it's like my next song is. Being showered by a million dollar bills. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is the problem. I mean, you know, like, th this is something when I was younger, I, I had trouble wrapping my, my brain around. When I was, like, in high school, I would listen to, like, you know, faster music. And I was talking to somebody who's a big fan of blues. And I was just like, why? I don't understand how you can listen to depressing music all the time and not, not completely internalize it I wonder if writing music is similar in that it, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy does it kind of like does it manifest itself or is it a way of working through those issues yeah that's a good question I I think I mean for me it's all cathartic and it's good yeah. to get stuff out there and, and in my case the, the message is almost always one of hope and Ooh. sometimes it's just by getting the song out there just for that misery loves company thing is yeah. it provides is a hopeful act in the, in, it, in itself just because of that is this a message you're consciously imbuing in the songs or do you think that that just sometimes kinda, yeah there was a song at a recent album that was like very upbeat and you and I think your comment was something along the lines of you gotta give them something happy from time to time yeah a spoonful of 
Sugar. Do you feel like having a kid has impacted your songwriting at all? I don't know yet, because it remains to be seen, really. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, I wrote a lullaby to him when he was in utero, which I self-indulgently included on our album. But I felt like it was worth indulging, because it was a big enough headline and the long story of the eels. And the the great thing is, uh, since then, now I sing it to him every night, and he sings along, which yeah. is like a, a real thrill. But I haven't... I haven't written anything since he's been born, so I don't know yet. You know, we've just been on tour, and or I've been at home with him. So it remains to be seen if I'm going to start writing a bunch of Cats in the Cradle songs. <laughs> <laughs> What's self-indulgent about putting yeah, it on? I don't know. It's sort of like, it's maybe a little too real and personal yeah. and inside or whatever, you know. When you say, like, sort of the story of the Eels or the saga of the Eels, I mean, it sounds like you feel... As though you almost owe your audience sort of a, a level of inserting yourself into the music or, or sort of pulling back the curtain. It's a confusing thing, I know, because my favorite way to tell a story is in the first person. Yeah. So when like half of the songs are actually not some experience I've had or aren't about me, you know, some of they're some of are about some of these are a true story about someone I know, but I'm singing it as that person. So and then, you know, the other half of the songs are about experiences I've been through and they are about me. So I understand why it might sound like everything's just about me. There's certainly at this point, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time now. There's there's kind of an expectation on the part of, of the audience that you will reveal a part of yourself in the music. Yeah, I guess so. I don't really think about that. I don't yeah. Know. Where does the book fit into all of this? That was just, you know, that was during another long break where I was just like kind of fried and I thought, I'm just going to try something different. And, you know, nobody had asked me to write a book or anything. I didn't have a book deal. I just spent a year writing it just to see... What does it add up to? Was it an enjoyable process? No. <laughs> miserable process. It's a hard thing to do. I don't like to live in the past. Yeah. I'd have to get up every day and there'd be some of the months of that year where, you know, I'd be like, oh, God, you know, every day I'd wake up and just be like, I don't want to go back to that year. You actually mentally have to put yourself in the place that you're writing about it. Well, as best as you can. Just yeah. to, I mean, just to relive the memories and yeah. get it all straight, you know. Is there an aspect of that as far as going up on stage and like, playing an old song? Yeah, for sure. Some of them can be difficult, but yeah, every night I have to go back to places. But then you can also make it kind of interesting by giving it modern twists, you know, or, or a different perspective that you might have now that you didn't have when you wrote it. Are there songs that you won't revisit or are there songs that are ideas that are kind of too painful? I don't think there's any song I flat out am unwilling to consider, but yeah. it just comes down to what, what do we feel like. But it's doubly the case when you're using songs to process things that happened at the time, that other big drastic experiences in your life. Are you able to go up on stage, play a song that was inspired by something and not relive that to some degree? Do these songs take on new resonance as your life goes on? Yeah, some of them do. Some of the ones we're doing now, it's, I don't know. It's kind of a case-by-case -case basis on a night-to-night -night basis, yeah. too, you know. It sounds like you are somebody who needs to keep busy. Somewhat, but I've also, you know, as I've gotten older, I, I realized, like, you know, during that four-year break, I, for some of it, I was really thinking... I might not ever go back to work and, you know, yeah. I, I started to really enjoy other aspects of life enough where I was like, yeah, I sure did work hard for a long time. Maybe I don't need to do it anymore. You know, maybe that's not for me anymore. So I'm, I 
I guess what I'm saying is I'm lazier. <laughs> was it a case of there being a block there? I mean, this idea of going back to it was just no, because... No, it wasn't a block. It was yeah. self-imposed. You had to turn it off. Yeah, but it, it was easy. I mean, it was kind of automatic, I guess, yeah. in terms of, you know, I was just fried. I didn't have any desire. Does music come easy to you generally? Generally, yeah. I mean, I assume that there have been points in your life where it didn't necessarily... Not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's just always, yeah. it's just, it's just kind of something that's always there. Yeah. It's amazing though that something like that, something that has been such an essential part of your life up till that point is easy for you to, to turn off. Yeah. Did that surprise you at all? Yeah. Because yeah. that, that had never happened. It sounds like you almost indulged in the idea of not necessarily going back, that it was a happy thought of not having to necessarily do this career for the rest of your life. Yeah. But then as, as time went on, it's, it's, inspiration started to rear its ugly head again yeah. to the point where I couldn't ignore it and I, and I did I did get the desire to, you know whereas I uh, started to miss process and everything you ease into that? yeah yeah no, then it's easy does the spigot turn on and you're well you know, but there's also there's a, a part where I feel some dread where it's like oh because it's it starts to it feels like it's out of my control to some degree, so it's just yeah. like, oh, shit, i got to get on the train now, you know. As your life goes on, as you've been doing this for a while, I mean, it sounds like the work-life balance is a little bit healthier from the standpoint of at least, you know, like, you, you know, you've got the kid and you are living a life outside of, of music. Right. You're able to balance things a little bit better. I mean, do you feel like you're, at this point in your life, that you have a healthier approach to making music than before? Well, that remains to be seen, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have not gone through the process yet again since this last album so I don't know it's changed your relationship to the music though with regards to playing live I mean does it does it feel less life and death when you have other responsibilities I mean yeah that's a good way to put it um, yeah it used to be everything it's not the end all be all and right you do feel like you're gonna continue to do this for the foreseeable future I, I hope so I I know that one thing I don't ever want to stop doing right now is the, like this tour we're doing right now. I love these doing these shows. It's yeah, just, it's just every night is great, and it's I really like savor it. You know, I'm really there, yeah. in it, and I I would love to do it all all the time if I could. So I hope we get to keep doing that somehow it's definitely a word that gets overused but you know it, it's this idea of kind of being mindful mm -hmm. being present in the moment yeah and you don't feel like that's something that necessarily came easy no, i think that's part of the part of um, appreciation I, that's come out of like taking that long break and now yeah having a child and everything it's, it's like i'm not gonna phone any of this in this is like this is a special occasion now that I get to do this. It's easy to, to take things for granted when you're when you're in them. You've been able to have this impressive, sustained career. I mean, the fact that you're still touring, the fact that you're, you know, maybe, you know, you're not like selling out Giant Stadium, but just, you know, Irving Plaza is, it's a big, beautiful venue. People are still coming out and people are still really interested in what you have to say. I know, I can't believe it. It's, I mean, you know, I've been doing this like 25 years yeah. or something. And I, I can't believe I got to do it once. Like, I'm incredibly fortunate. Is it something that you feel like you had taken for granted previously? I mean, I've always been thankful for it. I've always been conscious of it. Because, like, you know, I was a kid with, like, no plans for the future. No hope for the future, really. And so the fact that I've actually... The fact that I'm still alive, for starters, is amazing to me. And that I've got to spend the last 25 years or whatever doing this, doing what I want to do. It, like 
can't complain at that point. Why is it surprising that you're still alive? Well, for me, it's a weird thing because, you know, my older sister died, yeah. and it's weird when then you grow past her age. Yeah. That's a weird thing. And then the even weirder thing is my father died when he was 51, and I just turned 56. Yeah. And, and it's always weird. Like, when I when I turned 52. So, to me, you know, I, my family's gauge is like, 51 feels like the end of the road to me, you know, so I always feel like I'm on borrowed time. You know? It's so hard for me to contextualize how old my, like, my parents were when they had me. When I, when I pass through those milestones, yeah. it's, it's impossible to, to put yourself in their shoes. It's made me, it's made me a little more forgiving of certain things that happened yeah. when I was younger. You know, yeah. when I think about what a dipshit I was when I was like 22. Yeah, no, I just went through that a couple nights ago. I was thinking about something about me and my son and then thought about like my mom and whatever the situation was with me. And I just suddenly, you know, it dawned on me. And I'm sure this happens to all parents. Yeah. It just dawned on me. Oh my God, I did not give my mom the credit she deserved. You know? Do you think it was good for you and the kid that you had him later in life? Well, there's, there's pluses and minuses to that. A lot of it's good is I think I can be a really good father in a lot of ways because of the wisdom from my experiences but the bad part is i'm gonna be the oldest dad in the soccer bleachers to me like from a creative standpoint this idea of not knowing what's next is like it's terrifying mm-hmm. and and the idea that you know I've, I've had blocks it happens but i'm usually pretty good about either moving on to something else or or getting over it but the idea of Maybe one day waking up and not necessarily being able to do this is scary to me. Was that hiatus different from the standpoint of, I mean, was this the first time after you released a record when you didn't necessarily know that there was going to be a follow-up? Yeah, because the the one time I took a four-year break before, I was working on, I made three albums during the four years. And I knew I was going to put them out. It was only a break, you know, on the public side. Yeah. You know, I just disappeared. I gave them a break. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. In, in terms of, like, the, the trajectory of your career, do you think having success relatively early on was a, a net positive? Um, I don't know. I mean, success anytime, ultimately, I think, is a positive more than a negative. I mean, the only thing worse than success is not having success. Sure, but, you know, I, t- I talk to especially people who are in, I guess, you know, what we now call indie bands, and at the time we called alternative rock right. bands, you know, they were all talking about the heady period of the 90s when all Vana hit and everybody was, like, right. ready to find the next big thing. Hitting, like, a, a major plateau early on, for some people, it's kind of like chasing the dragon, as they say for them, mm-hmm. but, like, trying to, to go back and recreate that. Right. You didn't necessarily feel that same sort of pressure. Well, one of the smartest things I did, or one of the luckiest things I did, was um, I s- signed with uh, DreamWorks Records yeah. and during that whole period, the Gold Rush or whatever. <laughs> and uh, another label was offering more money, and my manager really wanted me, just said, take the most money. you know. But I said, no, I, I don't... I want to go with the, these guys, Lenny Warnaker and Mo Austin, who were like known for nurturing artists, you know, and who signed Jimi Hendrix and Prince and The Kinks and Randy Newman, and you know, I want to be with these yeah. guys. And they did. That's what they did. Like they, they were fine with. If I had gone with the label that offered the most money, and I'd followed up the first Eels album with Electroshock Blues. Uh, an album, you know, largely about my family dying, they would have rejected it. Yeah. And they would have forced me to make, like, 
the first album, part two, you know, just something, they just, something that'll have more radio hits. And I handed it to Lenny and Mo, and they just said thank you, and they loved it. They knew it wasn't going to do well commercially, and but they got it, you know. And the, and the happy ending to the story is, I, we, we made the most albums with DreamWorks Records. We made five, and then they went bankrupt, largely due to me, probably. <laughs> but If you're going to take somebody down, at yeah. least take down a behemoth. But, but the happy ending to the story was, years later, all those albums... Ended up recouping they, they, in yeah. the long run, which was always Lenny and Moe's thing with every act. It's like, it takes a while, you know? And now, you know, they got sold to Universal, and Universal makes money from all the Eels albums now because of Lenny and Moe's vision. So you didn't feel any kind of internal pressure to... At the time, I mean, it felt, you know, there was times when it was a little pressurized. There was pressure. They knew that Electroshock wasn't going to be a hit. Did you sense that as well? It was hard to imagine how it could be much more, yeah. but um, I, I didn't care. I just had I had diff, you know had my sights set di- differently at that point. Do you look back? I mean, I, I certainly look back, and this this kind of gets back to the idea of going back and listening to those songs and finding pieces of, in yourself. But do you do you ever look back and feel that maybe there was a bit of self sabotage at any points in the career? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can't think of particular yeah. ones but it just sounds like me yeah <laughs> doing like electro- electroshock blues wasn't, wasn't one. that no yeah no electroshock blues was like for all the right reasons it just felt it felt like something you had to do yeah. at the time have you had a similar sense working on albums since then that this is just i'm where i need to be and this is what i need to be doing yeah pretty much always uh, otherwise i wouldn't do it yeah at the time it has to kind of feel like that you feel excited and there's always a sense of like this could be my last album. You know, you don't know. That's getting back to that idea of, of not thinking you're going to outlive your dad. Yeah. I'm, all, that, I'm sorry, but death's always on my mind, you know. It's just been rubbed in my face. I mean, it sounds like, especially as far as the tour is concerned, that you're enjoying it as much or more than you have at any other point. Yeah, it's true. That's why we're continuing the tour we started last summer. It was a shorter tour than usual. And at the end of it, we were just like, we all felt like these were the, the best shows we've ever done. And we just said, we got to do more of this. we got to take it to more places. Do you feel the same about the music that you're putting out? Do you feel like you continue to get better? That's a different thing. Like, I'm not usually, I don't usually speak in terms of, like, better or worse. But, sure. But I do have, but the, the thing about these shows has been so strong that I actually have to say, like, these, these are the best shows. They've always been pretty good shows, I think, like, as far as how much we enjoy them. The albums are a different story because they're just different moods and flavors and I can't say one's better than another one really. Snapshots of where you were at the right. time. There you go. That was E from the Eels. Recorded that one backstage at Irving Plaza. A little bit tough at times, but I think we got some good stuff out of it. Their first record in four years, The Deconstruction, is out now on E-Works. Thanks to E for doing that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rwellcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rwellcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your riyl related information. And that's about it for this week. So stick around because we're going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.